0: All right. Before I get started, I'm going to have to ask for your forgiveness already. Um, The slides, they may be a little hard to read if you're in the back. I uh, messed up and underperformed. I didn't make things quite as big as I probably should have. So please forgive me for that uh, if you're in the back row. Like Jordan said, my name's Trace. I'm the college pastor at River Community Church. And I know many of you. There are many familiar faces uh, from your... A previous time at River, but there are lots of new faces that I don't recognize, which is exciting to me. I'm glad that you guys are making Orchard your home, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. I have a lot of respect for Ben. Like Jordan said, I've known Ben for uh, several years, and uh, I'm honored that he gave me a chance to be with you guys this morning. So I am the college pastor at River, which means that part of my job description is to drink coffee with students. Um <laughs> Which I'm cool with because I like coffee and I usually like students. Most of the time I like students. I have a favorite spot for coffee just south of campus called Fairmount Coffee Company. Some of you guys maybe have been there. They have a good atmosphere. They have good coffee. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Fairmount is that they give you a really full cup of coffee like really full, and I can appreciate that because every extra sip that I get is a good thing, and I'm pretty cheap too, so it makes me feel like I'm getting a good deal. But there's a problem with the full cup of coffee, and the problem is the walk from the counter back to the table where you're going to sit. You get this cup that's filled to the brim and it's on this little saucer and it feels really like a test of athleticism to see if you can make it from the counter back to your table without spilling the cup. I think the baristas maybe have a a dark game they like to play where they (laughs) fill your cup super full and then jeer as they watch you try to walk back to the table. Uh, And in those moments, I hear my mother's voice in my head saying this, don't look at the cup, look at where you're going. Don't focus on the coffee, focus on the table. I don't know if your mom's taught you that trick. Uh, It's like some archaic life hack uh, that's been passed on from generation to generation. I would say it's a wives' tale, but it actually works. So it seems counterintuitive, right? When you focus on what you really want, which is a full cup of coffee, you don't end up with a full cup of coffee, you end up spilling it. But when you change your focal point and you focus on where you're headed, you end up with what you hoped for, a full cup of coffee. Waiters, you know what I'm talking about. It is one of the great mysteries of life. But there's something here. There's something about this mysterious reality that transcends just cups of coffee and applies to the spiritual realm. Our moms were onto something. I'm going to touch on that this morning, so I want you to tuck that image away in the back of your mind for a few minutes. In the 1950s, there was a British clinical psychologist who was named Frank Lake, and he uncovered something significant. Lake, who was a Christian, began noticing a trend in several of the clients who started walking into his office. And of note was that there was a string of foreign missionaries who'd returned home after a short stint overseas, and they were coming home one after another for a variety of reasons, most of them stemming from burnout and feelings of failure. They had gone overseas with great ambition to reach people from different tribes and tongues and nations with the gospel, which is a noble ambition indeed, but they'd gone out with wrong patterns of thinking. And through his counseling sessions, Lake studied their thinking patterns, and eventually he partnered with a theologian named Emil Bruner to develop a model that I'm going to show you this morning. And Lake called this model the cycle of works, or the cycle of anti-grace. And the cycle of works goes something like this. It starts with achievement, or fruitfulness. You see, Lake discovered that these foreign missionaries, they went out with their eyes set on fruitfulness. They had great ambition to do things for God. They were going to translate God's word into foreign languages. They were going to reach non-believers. They were going to make disciples and raise up indigenous pastors and plant churches. They were going to be the beginning of gospel movements in the world. And they were going to know that God was using them when they achieved. It all started with a focus on fruitfulness. And out of this fruitfulness came a corresponding sense of significance. When the missionaries achieved their goals, when they did enough good stuff, when they saw enough results from their busyness, their significance was boosted. But when they didn't do enough, or they didn't see any results from their busyness, their significance wavered. Their significance was primarily determined by their fruitfulness. So they had ambitions to do these things for God. But what they found was that language learning was tremendously difficult. That religious beliefs were deeply rooted in culture. That the discipleship process was painfully slow. And indigenous churches never got off the ground. They couldn't even communicate the gospel let alone start a gospel movement. So despite their great ambitions, the work was very slow. And because they weren't being fruitful, they started doubting their significance. And here's the thing about significance. Significance is necessary for human life. In the same way that humans need air to survive, they need significance. We need significance. Living without significance is unsustainable. Which that takes us to the third realm of the cycle, cycle of works, which is sustenance. These missionaries were not finding significance because they were not bearing fruit. And their lack of significance was not sustainable. So despite the great dreams and ambitions they had only a few years previous, they were now overwhelmed and anxious and tired empty. They were being suffocated by how enormous the need was and how little they had to offer. And so they turned around and they went home. And when they got home, they wound up in Frank Lake's office. And what he heard over and over and over again in different words was that these missionaries did not feel accepted by God. They had attempted great things for God and they had Failed, and now they felt for sure that God was disappointed in them. Surely they needed to do some work to get back in good standing with God, and so what they do, they started into the cycle of works again. Sometimes I get stuck in that cycle too. I find myself thinking, "I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better dad." I'm going to be a better pastor or speaker. I'm going to tackle this house project, and I'm going to do it all by myself. I'm going to do this Bible reading plan every single day. And if I accomplish those things, I feel significant. I feel feel valuable. Look what I did. But if I don't do those things, or I don't do them quite good enough, I feel like a failure. I say demeaning words to my wife. I lash out in frustration at my son. I find myself in a counseling situation with a student, and I simply don't know what to say. I hang a picture frame on the wall, and it's not quite level. I miss my Bible reading for the day, or I do it, but really just to check a box. And my lack of achievement makes me feel less valuable, less significant. I envision God looking down on me and shaking his head in disgust. And I can't bear the thought of that. I can't bear the thought of being unaccepted by God or even unaccepted by people who might be disappointed in me. And so I do one of two things. I either decide to try a little harder and I start back into the cycle of works or I quit trying altogether and I go looking for significance somewhere else. Maybe you can relate to that. The encouraging thing is that there's another way. Lake proposed an alternative to the cycle of works, and he called it the cycle of grace. And the cycle of grace takes the cycle of works and flips it on its head. So that rather than beginning with fruitfulness, the cycle of grace begins with acceptance. And acceptance is the heart of the gospel. The gospel is that God created man and woman in his image, He desired to dwell in close relationship with them. But mankind rebelled against God and his created order. And although God had instructed them to rule over the earth that he'd made as his servants, as his stewards, we, mankind, tried to do it our own way. We rebelled against God. And the consequence of our rebellion was that evil entered the world and we now experience physical death and spiritual death and eternal separation from God. And that's bad news for us. But there is good news. And the good news is the story we read in the Bible from Genesis 4 to the very end. It's the story of God's righteous and just plan to make his world right again. And at the climax of this story, we're introduced to Jesus Christ, who was fully God, and fully man, who came as the perfect and necessary sacrifice for our rebellion. Paul says this about Jesus' purpose in this redemptive plan. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some people have called this the great exchange. This is the exchange. That Jesus came to earth and took from us the just wrath that God required for our sin and in place he extended to us the righteousness of God. He extended to us forgiveness and acceptance. He came to earth and he took from us a fractured relationship with God and in its place he extended to us a mended one. So if we put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are accepted by God. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Whether you feel it or not, you are accepted by God in Christ. J.D. Greer says it this way. Your life does not prove your love for God. Jesus' life proves God's love for you. We are accepted by God. Not only are we accepted by grace, but we're also sustained by grace, which takes us to the second realm of the cycle of grace. Jesus, when he was on earth, said this. Sometimes we like to talk about being saved by grace. A lot of times we do. But we don't often talk about being sustained by grace. Jesus here is saying, remain in me. Some other translations say, abide in me. Jesus is saying, stay put right here at my feet. But for some reason we start to think that we graduate on from that. That we can start doing things on our own. But the reality is that the same grace that brought us near to God through Christ keeps us there. And Jesus says, if you want to experience fruitful, spiritual life, then stay here at my feet. In Christ we are accepted, and in Christ we are sustained. The third realm of the cycle of grace is significance. You see, as the reality of the gospel goes deeper and deeper in our hearts, as we abide in the acceptance of God through Christ, our understanding of our true significance begins to grow. Peter points us to that significance in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, You, church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. As we grow in our understanding of the gospel, as we begin to understand this salvific narrative that God is writing in human history and our unique place in it, and as we allow Jesus to continue to convince us of his grace in our lives, the realities to which Peter speaks of here begin to come to life to us. We realize that we have abundant significance. That we are God's chosen people. That we are God's priesthood, mediators between him and a fallen world. That we are God's holy nation, a people set apart to bring him praise. That we are God's special possession. His great treasure, the apple of his eye. We have significance, we have identity, we have air to breathe. And the thing about identities is that they don't stay hidden, not for very long. Identities always work their way out into the world. Identities feed actions and attitudes and behaviors and that leads us to the final realm of the cycle of grace which is achievement. Or fruitfulness. And what I want you to see here is that fruitfulness is not the focus. Fruitfulness is the byproduct. In Galatians 5, Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And a lot of times when I hear people talk about this passage, they kind of pick and choose a fruit. They say, well, I'm going to really focus on gentleness this week. I'm going to try really hard to be gentle with my wife or my child. I'm going to achieve gentleness. But that's really not Paul's point of application here. Paul is describing the life of a person who's filled by the Spirit. His application is not to achieve the fruit. It is to abide by the Spirit. And the very next verse he says those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit that is the application keep in step with the spirit this is about walking in the presence of god and allowing him to cultivate fruitfulness in us our moms were on to something They knew that if you wanted to achieve a full cup of coffee, you couldn't focus on the coffee itself. They knew that if you focused on the fruitfulness, you would falter. They knew that if you wanted to achieve a full cup of coffee, you had to shift your focus. You had to relinquish the intense desire to achieve. And you had to lift your gaze... And you had to set your focus on a fixed point of reference on where you were headed. And in so doing, you had to demonstrate some trust. That what mom said was true. That the whole process was actually going to work out in the end. You had to relinquish your desire to achieve and control. And living in cycles of grace is like that. The difference between... Cyc- living in cycles of works and living in cycles of grace is the focal point. The cycle of works focuses on achievement. It sets its eyes on fruitfulness. It fills its schedule with lots of good things, with the hopes of earning God's acceptance. The cycle of works is stirred up out of a place of need and insecurity but the cycle of grace is different. The cycle of grace focuses on acceptance. The cycle of grace sets its eyes on the finished work of the cross and it rests in the good things that God has provided for us at the cross. The cycle of grace is stirred up out of a place of acceptance and sustenance. And here's the irony of all of this. The cycle of works by its very nature separates a person from the fruitfulness that they so desperately covet. And the cycle of grace produces in a person the fruitfulness they did not set out to produce. Some have called this the principle of indirection. C.S. Lewis summed it up well. He said this. I'll say it twice because it's kind of wordy you can't get second things by putting them first. You can only get second things by putting first things first. You can't get second things by putting them first. You can only get second things by putting first things first. So you want to be a better spouse. You want to be a better father or mother you want to be a better employer or employee. You want to be a better friend or mentor or small group leader. You want freedom from your ongoing struggle with a specific sin. But do you want God? Would you be satisfied if you just got God and not what you want Him to give you? Are you willing to take your eyes off the achievement And put them on God. And trust Him with what you want. Are you willing to put first things first? Or will you continue to pursue second things? And in so doing, separate yourself from the first thing that will truly satisfy you. Here are two ways to begin to put first things first. The first is to rest. You know, almost exclusively, our culture operates based on the cycle of works. The home you grew up in may have operated based on the cycle of works. The church you grew up in may have operated based on the cycle of works. Your heart and your mind are constantly being bombarded with three false messages that you are what you do, that you are what you have or that you are what other people say or think about you. The world is trying to convince you that you need to achieve some type of identity by doing more things or doing better things. But the reality is is if you've put your trust in Christ and Savior as your Savior and Lord, you've already received your identity from God. You don't have to achieve it. You are not what you do. You are not what you have. You are not what other people say or think about you. You are a child of God through Jesus Christ. And you cannot achieve a greater identity than that. So you can rest. Physical and spiritual rest is a simple way to feed your heart the truth that you're already accepted in Christ. So build in time to your schedule to simply rest, to simply be, and not just do. Say no to something if you have to. Maybe it's even a good thing that you're saying no to. Build in time each week to set aside your list of things to be achieved and take a nap or go on a long walk or sit and drink a cup of coffee Naps, for me, are an act of faith. (laughs) God, I entrust to you all of these things that need to be done, and I'm going to rest in your acceptance apart from checking things off this list. So rest. The second thing is remember. Throughout Scripture, remembering is set forth as a powerful tool of devotion we see Moses and Joshua and Josiah and the prophets at key points in their ministry urging the Israelites to remember God's faithfulness throughout their history and in turn to be devoted to Him. In Psalm 136, the psalmist remembers God's faithfulness throughout Israel's history. He recounts these highlights of God's faithfulness to Israel throughout history And the refrain is, his love endures forever. In John 14, we see that one of the Spirit's ministries is to remind us of Jesus and his words. Remembering is a powerful shaping tool. Our English word, remember, is formed from the prefix re, which means again, And the word member, which refers to part of a whole. So you have a membership meeting coming up. That word member means that you would be one of the whole. One member of a body. So Mark Buchanan says this, to remember is literally to put broken pieces back together. It is to create an original wholeness out of what has become shattered fragments we don't need new information not very often we just need what we already know to go deeper and deeper into our souls ben told me that one of your church-wide challenges right now is to have consistent times alone with god that's what i'm talking about when i talk about remembering The world, the flesh, and Satan are constantly trying to break up your identity. And remembering is a way to resist. Remembering is a way to put the pieces back together again. By remembering, we can free ourselves from living in cycles of works and experience afresh our acceptance and sustenance in Christ. So I would encourage you to Step out of your busyness each day, even if it's just for a few minutes, to rest in and remember the finished work of the cross. To step out of the chaos of life and put the pieces back together again. Maybe you can memorize the cycle of grace and a simple verse or passage to go with each of them, and then just remember it. Just walk back through it in your mind. Remember again your received identity. Let's pray together. God, I don't know much else to say than thank you that we don't have to be slaves to a cycle of works. We don't have to be slaves to feelings of insignificance, to... Feelings of being unaccepted. You don't have to be enslaved to a life that's unsustainable. Thank you that we can rest in the finished work of Jesus at the cross and through the empty tomb. That He has taken our sin and He's defeated it. And that we can live in power and freedom and grace and truth. That we no longer have to be defined by what we do or what we have or what other people say or think about us. That we can be defined by the work of Christ. Please help us. Please help us remember that often and live out of that for Your glory and the good of the people around us. In Jesus' name, Amen.